All right, Norm, welcome to Regional Football Hub. We certainly appreciate you taking your time uh, with us to chat about your, your journey and your wealth of experience in football. So we're really appreciative to have you on today to, uh, to have a chat. So I hope everything's going as best as it can be uh, in our COVID world um, and hope you're doing well. So thanks for coming on. No problem, mate. It's, uh, it's certainly a challenging time, but uh, we're getting through it. For sure. Well, we have some intro questions that we'll go through that may involve football. Some of them don't. If you could be a professional in any other sport apart from football, what would it be? I used to play a bit of cricket when I was younger. Well, obviously, you know, we always played two sports. Uh, people around about my age always always had the, the choice of winter and summer. But now it's, uh, it's full-time, you know, football's full-time. But, yeah, I used to love playing cricket. Um, I was a reasonably handy player. I played lower levels, uh, you know, rep cricket and that. And uh, a couple of centuries and a double century and a few hat tricks and yeah, it's a great game to play, you know. And it's, um, you know, I, I I wish there was another day in the week I could play, but and there's no more days in the week. But yeah, cricket. Sound like you're an all rounder. I was going to ask if you were the drink carrier, but um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had a few few guys at that in the in the rep teams and that, you know, twelfth man and uh, yeah. Uh, mining. They used to call it mining the horses in the days. You you sit near the bags and they were mine the horses. So if you got if you got told you were mining the horses, you're the twelfth man. So yeah, had a few of them, but yeah, it was good good time. And um, I love my cricket. And you know, grew up watching you know people like Dennis Lilly and Jeff Thompson and uh, Alan Border and people like that. So yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah. If you're writing a book, what will your autobiography be called? Oh, gee. <laughs> um. I don't know, something like out of Greenacre or something, you know, we were Western suburbs of you guys that don't know, um, Western suburbs of Sydney. Um, I come from a family of 12. Uh, so, you know, we, uh, we had it pretty, uh, pretty, pretty lean in them days. And yeah, I'd just say something out of Greenacre because it's a great place. It was a great place to grow up. You know, everyone loves where they live and I love where I come from. And, uh, and the fact that uh, most of my brothers are all rugby league players and one was, a, one was a soccer player and got me into, got me involved in soccer. So, uh, they were good days, so I'd say something out of Greenacre. Yeah. Alright, uh, going on the spot here a bit, Norm, but everyone has a go-to joke, whether it be a football one or not. Do you have a, a go-to joke? I do have a go-to joke, but I'm not certain whether I could tell it here. <laughs> but uh, so I'll try and I'll try I'll try and find one uh, later on for you that uh, that I'll, I'll I'll think about later on. Perfect. But I do have a few jokes. Have a few jokes. I'm sure they're going to play out as we talk anyway. Yeah, I like, yeah, yeah. So, well, I tell you, they, I don't know whether you know, but they found Bin Laden. He was hiding and he was hiding in a cave. And they said, What are you doing in there? He said, It's like the Liverpool trophy cabinet. It's cold, <laughs> dark, and lonely. Uh, <laughs> I love that joke. Yeah. You can't say that anymore. Now they're, they're, uh, they're doing really well, aren't they? Very well. <laughs> How do you cope under pressure? If there's a penalty to win the World Cup, do you think you'd handle it? Uh, I would have said, I would have said, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, once upon a time, but um, last year I, I still play in the over 45s with my local club, and uh, last year I, I'm fairly good, usually pretty good at penalties, but uh, now I've lost all my confidence, so I went to put it in the corner and I put it over the fence, uh, which is about, <laughs> which is about 10 feet high. So, so uh, yeah, um, not confident now. So I'd say no, I wouldn't be taking one. 
average would you be about a dollar for every time you had a football coffee meeting? Boy, I'd be rich. I'd be a rich, <laughs> I'd be a rich person. Uh, and I, I know I'm a rich person anyway, because in terms of, you know, you talk about coffees and, and you know, social social outings with your footballing mates, um, and I'm sure you all do do this and, and have done it, um, is you build up your you build up your knowledge of uh, bank of knowledge from talking to other people about games and things like that. Um, even people that don't really you know understand the game fully, if you always get you always get something from them about it. Uh, and I think those coffees are well not you know they're not valuable in dollars. They're valuable in the, the base of knowledge you build up over the years. I, I I think I'm a rich man in that in that in that regard. Great answer. Very fair comment. Um, obviously, you've been involved in football for many years. Is there any, any life qualities you think that football has given you in everyday life? Oh, definitely. I think, you know, a lot of the times I can, I can liken life to a football game. You know, you, you, you have the ups and the downs. You have the, the ins and the outs. You have the disappointments. Uh, you've got to build yourself back up again um, without relying on other people to build you up. Uh, so at the end of the day, it is, it is a lot like real life is like football. Um, and, you know, you've got your challenges and you've got to work as a team. You, you know, we get married, you've got to work as a team, keep your family together. They're, they're part of your team, your extended team. And, uh, yeah, there's no, real, there's no real coach, although my wife, you know, she thinks she's a, a bit of a coach. But, uh, yeah, mate, I think life lessons are, are, are football lessons as well. You know, you, you know if you've done the wrong thing. Um, you know if you, you're, um, you know the uh, pitfalls. Uh, the advantages and disadvantages of doing certain things a certain way. Um, yeah, and I think it's I think it's a lot like like life. And uh, if you treat if you treat and and again, you know, you talk about playing uh, playing opposition players, mate, you know, becoming friendly with them, having respect for them, and them having respect for you. Um, they're the qualities in life that you've got to you know that you've got to follow through in your in your life. Uh, you know, when you get married or you get older, and you know things happen, and uh, you've got to be able to work around them and I, I think it's in a similar vein uh, it's like as I said it's like life football's like life and there's no saying football football is life so um, it's it's pretty much given me um, a good grounding a good rounded you know uh, understanding of you know how to treat people and be treated by people and I think that there's some some of the values that you get from team games team sport like football yep. You go for the other all-white team, which is Real Madrid, so uh, Leeds United. Uh, how did that come about? Well, it's funny thing. People people used to say to me, oh, you, you follow Leeds because of Harry Kuhl and Mark Baduka. And that, no, <laughs> I followed Leeds in the, you know, uh, in, the, in the late 60s, early 70s, um, when, when uh, a coach called Don Revy was uh, in charge there. And uh, they had a golden era. Um, my best mate goes for Man United and I... I, he picked up on Man United, I picked up on Leeds United, and um, uh, I was doing a paper run, for you guys that don't know what paper runs are, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I used to get the papers delivered to your house, and uh, I used to drag a barrow behind me, and then I'd get a bike, when I, later on I got a bike, and, and done a paper run, and I saved up my money and sent it over to England in the old shoot magazine, and, um, and bought a tracksuit, uh, Leeds United tracksuit, so that was in 1971, and uh, I've been following, as I said, I've been following for years and years, you know, um, some of the players, you know, you wouldn't know some of the players, but I could, I could you know, I can rattle them off. Maley, Cherry, Yoroth, Jordan, Harvey, David Harvey, goalkeeper, do your, do your research there. 
Um, Liam, do your research on your goalkeepers. David Harvey was a, a brilliant goalkeeper for Leeds in the day. But yeah, I, I followed him and um, followed him through the street thick and thin. We've, we've had a very lean time lately and we've just, uh, we just finished on 71 points. So the word is that we're going to get promoted to the, to the Premiership. So um, hopefully that, that stays true, but we, don't, we haven't heard anything in black and white yet. So um, we're, at this point, we're leading the competition back where we should almost, be. Almost back there. How did you handle Brian Clough taking over from Don Rowey? Uh, worst 44 days of my life. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> uh, look, we, we, as I said, you've, you've got to go through these things, and you know, Cluffy must have had his reasons for for doing what he did, and uh, you know, and the players to a degree have to take some some uh, some responsibility for that as well. So it wasn't just uh, just about Clough. I mean, if you have a look at his record, he's got a fairly good record as well. So yep. you know, I, I'd say that not being close enough to it, the players had a little bit to do with it as well. Could yeah. be worse, mate. Could be could be an Arsenal fan. <laughs> yeah, mate. Look, we had to, we had some great old battles with Arsenal and Chelsea, you know, in the days, and you know, we picked up a few, uh, you know, the fair, the old Fairs Club Cup, I think, which come become the European uh, Cup yep. eventually. Um, you know, we won that. We were in the final a few times. We we're in FA Cup finals a few times, and I still I'm still haunted by 1973. Um, <laughs> When Sunderland, we, we lost 1-0 to Sunderland and Ian Porterfield scored the goal. Um, so his name goes down in history with me. Right down. <laughs> yeah, so just funny the things you think about, you know, and, uh, and that was a, you know, that was a <laughs> bad time for me. Bad time. But anyway, better days ahead. We're, uh, as I said, we're on our way back now and, uh, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be able to establish ourselves as a, as a force again. Beautiful. Moving on to your career now, I suppose, what was the first team you ever played for? Played for East Bankstown. Um, the park was 100 metres up the road from my place and my best mate lived about 20 metres from the park. So we spent quite a lot of time there. I was from the age of about seven, I was up there, you know, on a Saturday morning and Sunday morning, putting there, help, helping the old guys put the nets on. <laughs> Call them old guys, they were only, <laughs> only a bit older than me. But um, now... Uh, but yeah, you know, putting the nets up at the park and spend spend my Saturdays at the park, um, you know, looking around to see if we can get a game in the older teams, see if they were short of players and stuff. And uh, at the end, when, when we watch the all-age play and then we pick up the papers afterwards and get a crusty old pie and a, and a soft drink for our troubles. So it was a great existence. But yeah, East Bankstown was my uh, first club and um, and I went back there five years ago and, um, and uh, signed up in the over 45s with that. We've got in that team. We've got seven um, seven life members in the club, and wow. people who've been secretaries, presidents, or whatever. So it's a it's a fairly good little family club, and uh, yeah, cool. had a lot of time there as a kid. Beautiful. Moving mm. on to your coaching career, Norm. So age of thirteen, you started coaching. Were you nervous to be taking a, a first grade men's team at the age of thirteen? <laughs> yeah, I wished, but uh, no. Look, I uh, a guy. You know, one of the guys that used to go and put the nets up, the, the older blokes used to go and put the nets up. He, he had a son playing in the uh, under eights at the time and he, he said, you know, come and coach. And, you know, he drove me around everywhere and uh, obviously and uh, picked me up, took me to training and uh, not training, took me to games and things. And mate, I was, had long hair halfway down my back and run up and down the sideline like a madman. And, uh, you know, um, uh, but they were some of the people uh, that were in that team, some of the some of the parents that were in that team really shaped my 
shape my um, coaching career, if you like, and and my my current uh, status as a you know as 41 years married, um, and gave me a lot of them values we talked about before, them, them life skills. Um, some of some of the people, as I said, you know, they took me under their wing. We we didn't my my mum and dad didn't have time to come watch me play soccer, and that was probably a good thing uh, in a way when you see pe how people destroy their kids. Um, yeah. Not that they, you know, not that they weren't supportive. It's just that they worked a lot and mum was sick. So she couldn't get to the football games. And these people took me under their wing. And as I said, they, they carved out my, you know, they inspired me to, to, um, to get, you know, be involved in coaching and become better and better at what I do in general life. So, yeah, that was the uh, start of it when he, a bloke called Don Hubbard came and got me and said, listen, we want you to coach the team. And there it was. And, uh, yeah, here we are years later. So, was it a one-off thing for that year, or did you continue to do it for ever since? Sorry, a one-off. Yeah, uh, it was no. Quite, sorry. Did you keep coaching from then? Did you ever have a little break, or basically no, from? No, I've coached continuously from then on uh, to now. Um, I forget how many years that is now. <laughs> it's quite, it's quite a few. We're coming up to coming up to close to fifty years now. So, it's uh, it's been a, it's been a great ride, and it, I I can't explain it any better than. I don't know. It's just been an unbelievable ride, you know. The ups and downs, the ins and outs, the the, the you know the joy, the the sadness, um, the friends you make along the way, friends you lost along the way. You know that yeah. fellow that I told you about who got me involved in coaching and and helped, you know, helped uh, help carve out my uh, who I am now. Uh, some years ago, but we always uh, you know always remember him every year, and uh, and it's um and it's a great old thing. In that team, though. Uh, there was a boy that went on and played in the National League, Rod Brown. I think he ended up with 134 goals. Uh, he had the highest goal scoring record in the, the National League until Damian Morey took it off him. Um, and he went on to play. He went on to play. I think he played six or seven games for Australia. He played in the youth team uh, with Australia over in place that played at the Azteca Stadium in front of 100,000 people. That was a blast. Wow. And, you know, I, I'm just blessed to have worked with these players, don't worry about it. I didn't, I didn't do anything to make him a great footballer. He was already a, a tremendous footballer before he came to my team. Uh, something like he scored 100 goals in, uh, in the under sixes, I think. And that was back like, in the 60s, uh, in the 70s. So he scored 100 goals in the under sixes. But that's when, when it, because he was a superb athlete. And you look at the game now, that that wouldn't happen now. And it's a great thing that it wouldn't happen. But he was just a, a, a freakish athlete. And this is because he was so fast, you just used to score goals for fun, and especially in under under sixes when you've got them big goals. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it was a, a it was funny. Yeah, and I tried to destroy him, but I couldn't. <laughs> so he succeeded despite, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, he's um, he, he's a great kid, and he's uh, as I said, he uh, he played in that grand final. I think it was '97 uh, at Suncorp State or. Lang Park, Suncourt Stadium, 40,000 people there. Um, they played, um, Frank Frank and him scored the goals, Frank Farina and him scored the goals against Sydney United. Um, 40,000 people and no one would have thought we'd have 40,000 people at a, at a football game in this modern era. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, and now we're getting much more than that, you know, when we get the big games here and that. So that's a, that's a dream come true for me, seeing that sort of thing happening, you know, regularly. Good stories. Uh, you moved from Bankstown to be a development manager at Southern Branch. How did that come about? And what was your experience in your time in that role? Like? Yeah, well, 
Um, David Lee, and you, you remember David. Um, yeah. David was one of my mentors. Um, I, I think he was, he was, um, and in his time, he, he was the foremost youth. I, I thought he was the best youth development coach in Australia. And that's talking about technical, not not actual team coaching, because yeah. he, he fully admitted he couldn't, you know, he couldn't coach a, uh, a rat up a drain pipe sort of thing. You know, he, he said that, you know, several times we had discussions. And David was the one that uh, when the job was offered down in Southern Branch, uh, he spoke to Ray Tweedy and, and then he spoke to me and uh, I just said, look, you know, what do you want to do with your football career? He said, do you want to, you want to be a professional coach or do you want to, you know, work with youth development? And uh, I thought about it for a while and I said, well, you know, youth development, there's a lot more longevity in youth development. I think there's a lot more um, benefits in being involved in youth development. Um, so in terms of that, that's where I, I made my choice to be a youth development coach, and uh, and that's that's what happened. Uh, he he basically got in touch with Ray and said, "This guy, you know, this guy's pretty good." And I went down there and had a talk with Ray, and next minute I was down there. So yeah, it was a great old time. It was, uh, country football's unbelievable, and and it was in you know it was back in them days, and just to see some of the the, the, the commitment of the country kids, you know, and their parents, you know, driving them hundreds of kilometres to get to training and things like that, you know. Um, yeah, we, we had a great old time of it in the day. And um, I, I do miss the country, you know, the country trips and seeing the, getting out there and seeing the country kids in action because there's so much talent out there. It's not, not funny. And uh, they just don't get, they just don't get that opportunity. And, and they have to, more and more, they have to move to the city to try and get those opportunities. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we had a great old time, but I think you remember the camps we used to have, the uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the inter-academy inter games, you know, they were great and they were great for identification and getting the kids, you know, to, to mingle with each other and know each other a bit better. But uh, yeah, that was it, uh, 1997, and I was down there, I think I was down there till 2003. Yeah. So it was Excellent. a great time, great time. Beautiful. Well, you've worked across both New South Wales Metro and New South Wales countrysides. What have you noticed as the key differences between those two squads? Oh, look, I, I think, I think, and I always said the same thing. You know, we were often used to have discussions uh, about this, and the metropolitan kids, because they play in hard competition week in week out, they get the edge, or they used to get the edge. Um, you know, on, on the country kids who don't get that opportunity every week of playing in and out. You know, against, um, I mean, against teams that are training the same amount of times and playing the same uh, intensity that, that the country, that the metropolitan kids do, the country kids don't get that. But the one thing with country kids, you didn't have to wind them up. In general, 99% of them, there's no chance, you know, there's no way you had to go in and wind kids up to want to play, especially when they play the metropolitan sides. Um, <laughs> there's no, no problem there on either side of the fence, by the way. Um, yeah, my, my, my attitude um, towards the country kids was, you know, you, you know, they were sponges, you know, they all wanted to learn, they all wanted to listen and where I say all, the majority, because you'll always get a couple that don't, you know, that don't want to toe the line. But the commitment, the camaraderie in the country kids is, it's just something special. It's like, it's like the Queenslanders have in the rugby league. It's something that in my, in my experience with the country kids, they have this bond. They have this automatic um, liking of them. Um, respect for their mates you know and not that the, the metropolitan kids don't have it it's not that they don't have it it's a bit bit special um on in terms of what and i don't know how to put it into words but they just have this they just have this 
camaraderie amongst them that that you can't buy you can't teach that you can't give it it's automatically in there and i think it's inbred because um because of the the commitment they make you know that their parents and they make to toward toward wanting to become a, a better footballer and i think that's you know it's 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 inherent in a lot of the kids in the country and you you must see it you know you must see it but i've been on both sides of the coin i've seen it you know and it's uh, no disrespect at all to any of the any of the metropolitan kids i just think that this is something that the country kids have in there you know because they have to um they have to uh um make good of what they've got if that makes sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah so 100%. yeah oh that's what i found anyway it's just um you know someone said to me one day they said oh um you know, I'll show you how to motivate. You always get the metropolitan kids and this, that, the other. He said, I'll show you how to motivate the country kids. Well, you know, he's, I think he's dropped dropped a couple of words you shouldn't use. Yeah. This is going back 30 odd years. He dropped a couple of words you shouldn't use in the thing. And I'm going, well, is that real? Is that how you motivate kids? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the, you know, the, the team talk before the games of the country kids is a lot, a lot easier than, than with the metropolitan kids, uh, certainly in terms of, you know, what their roles are and what their responsibilities to each other are and how that how they they want to be seen um whereas i think sometimes if you get things given to you you, you don't you take them for granted you know so that's sort of a picture i i paint there yeah makes sense do you have any key highlights of working with the new south wales country teams norm and how hard was it having to work with and put up with rollo well, well, Rollo. Funny thing about Rollo is, I when I was in Southern Branch, we had uh, academies in every association, and she was from the far south coast, so she was a bigger girl, and ten years old, she she came in, and um, I I didn't know at the time that she'd, you know, turn out the way she did, but she was something special, and and then when I coached her later on, you know, at the at the Rams in the women, she's just something, she's she's special, um, you know, just some of the things she does on the field. You think to yourself, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't, she's not quick uh, anymore, but she's just so intelligent. You know, she sees things before other people do. And she, you know, that's why she gets herself out of trouble quite a lot. And that's why she's been, you know, playing for as long as she has. Um, yeah, she, she's, she's always been a good, you know, good kid. You know, even, even when she was young, she was, she just looked like she had something special. But yeah, I, I don't have any trouble with her. I know, <laughs> I know how to handle her. <laughs> sort of but um no she's a, she's a great kid and um uh you know and uh, she's a real credit to to her, to her family and that so you had uh, sally fitzgibbons in one of your country teams once upon yeah, a time did she yeah. turn into surfing or well I, I drove her away from football that's another one of my success stories see <laughs> <laughs> no i um sally sally was uh yeah she when she was in the uh the program you know we had the kids all write in what their weekly thing was and you know she's i've got it in my archive somewhere and she comes back to me with um you know 5 a.m out of bed uh grab the board go to the beach have a surf come back breakfast all that you know so she was into it from a young age and um and she was quite a talented footballer as well but she's definitely chosen the right path and uh, i run into her uh, probably two years ago at the airport she was on her way to uh, hawaii or something and uh yeah i was i think i was off over to asia but yeah she um I ran into her then and she's not changed a bit. Still <laughs> that little bubbly, funny little, you know, cute girl. She's fantastic. But yeah, I did a good job, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Um, she made a good she made a good choice in the end. 
is yeah, she's done well. And that's you know, Cat Smith. I I, I coached Cat Smith when she was in the you know the country New South Wales team, and um, you know look at her now. She's done really well for herself. You know, and she's uh, she's really going well with the coaching, and you know, and apart from a few injuries, you know, she she had a good uh, good go at it in the you know in the state teams and and through into um, through into the national league and things. So. Um, yeah, she's doing a good job now. Um, some of the other, well, Sally Shippard, you know, so it goes without saying, talking about people who see things before everyone else. Yeah. I think she, she saw many things happening before and she was the original check your shoulder, um, check your shoulder girl. Uh, it was just unbelievable to watch her play. We can still see vision of her now. She's, uh, she was regularly checking her shoulder well before, well before all that came into, came into play and it wasn't something that I, I told her to do. She just did it. You know, she just naturally yeah. did it. So, um, yeah, and and technically, you know, technically gifted both feet. Um, you know, good athlete without being, you know, super quick and things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, she had a good, you know, she had a good career as well, and uh, you know, yeah. she turned into a lovely person as well. And that's, I think, they're the important things in football. You've got to be yeah. a good person as well as a good player. And and these people we talk about are all all good people. So, yeah. It's really nice to be involved with them. So uh, you went, you went club branch football New South Wales FFA. So you climbed, you climbed the tree, which is which is great. And then you obviously come back and you're working at Macarthur. How, how's that experience going for you now um, in Macarthur? Yeah, look, I've been nearly six years now. I've been here, and uh, how it come about basically was, you know, I'd I'd had enough of sitting, you know, in the big house behind the desk. I wanted to get back on the ground again and get my you know, feet dirty on the grass and boots dirty on the grass. So you can't do that. You can't do that from sitting, you know, in an office. I mean, we could, we, you know, when I went out to the States and, and, and places like that, you'd get on the field, um, you know, that that's fine, but that's only a, not as often as you want. So back on the field now, and it's, you can't beat it, you know, and I wanted to come back to the community. I want to come back to grassroots where, where I think it, this is where it is. You know, this is, it's nice to have done what I did and, and you know, gone into, you know, the FFA and, and things like that. But really, you can't beat boots on the ground. You know, you can't beat that atmosphere. You can't beat, beat, you know, talking to players every day and then parents about how their, their kids are going and giving them things to work on and tips and things. And they give you some information about what you do. You know, I often ask the kids, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? In terms of, not so much about the game, because we always do that, but in terms of what, how do you think, you know, I look to be treating people, you know, could I do anything better if, you know, if you're a kid? And sometimes I'll give you the answer. I'll, I'll say, yeah, you're a bit, you know, you, your voice is a bit, sometimes a bit, you know, you get a bit uppity or whatever. Um, but that's all right. I take that on board. And it's not very often that happens, by the way. But, you know, <laughs> you, take, you take that on board and them days them days are gone well and truly. But, yeah, I, I think you, you can't beat being on the ground at grassroots level. I mean, it's nice to be, it's nice to be coaching, you know, uh, higher levels and things like that. But you know the the club kids. You know that's where I come from. I come from the grassroots, and that's that's pretty much where I'll go. At the end. Beautiful. Um, you were fortunate enough to coach W League Western Sydney Wanderers. How did you find that experience? Yeah, terrific. Um, you know, and, and another thing, you, you sort of on the bucket list. You go, okay. You know, this opportunity came up. I was working at the FFA at the time, and they they kindly gave me the the time that I needed to 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 work with the the Wanderers. Um, and it, look. It was a great experience. Um, I've got to say, we, we probably didn't 
no, not we probably didn't. We didn't. Um, we didn't perform as well as we could have, um, and and that's that's the truth. But you know, when you're working on a, a tight shoestring budget um, and playing against teams that have got big budgets, well, you've got to deal with it. Um, and that was that was in the early days, and I'm glad to see now how far women's football's come. Um, I was only up at uh, Wanderers last year. We went up uh, towards the end of the year and uh, had a, a look around their new uh, premises, and yeah. I walked into the I walked into the, the girls' change room and it was like, wow, what is this? You know, like that, that change room was probably worth more than our, that was probably more, cost more than our budget. <laughs> so, you know, but it's, it's great to see how women's football's come, come on now. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that, um, that we were able to give three girls, uh, three girls, 16 year old girls their debut. And we were playing Sydney, Sydney FC at Parramatta. And, um, uh, I won't tell you who it was, but a commentator came over to me and said, we were walking around the field before the game, and a commentator came up to me and said, oh, you know, these, these girls here, these three 16-year-old girls, do they know who they're playing against today? And I said, no, you got it wrong. I said, do, they, do Sydney know who they're playing against today? <laughs> and, and one of them girls is Ellie, Ellie Carpenter and, and Jada Wyman, uh, another country girl, and Eliza and Amendolia, another country girl. So... You know, we had three girls, three girls from uh, country football who've, who've made good of themselves. Um, Eliza's over in um, Hawaii now playing uh, college football. Yeah. I think she's back home actually in Wagga. Uh, in uh, yeah, I think she's back home at the moment. I don't think she's yeah. back, back over back, yet. Back in uh, back in Griffith at the moment, yeah. Griffith, yeah, yeah. And uh, um, as I said, Eliza, Eliza Jada, and um, the Riverina girls, and um, and of course Ellie, you know, from out your way. Yeah. Um, went on to do good things. And, you know, as I said, you, if you're good enough, you're old enough. Um, and, you know, they were good enough and we were gonna, we were gonna play them regardless of what happened. And, you know, I think the truth of the matter is we lost two nil that day and, um, and Jada, you know, unfortunately Jada made a, made a, a bad error on the first one. And, um, uh, and, and, you know, that's gotta, but you gotta learn from that. You know, it, the bottom line is if they don't get that, if they don't get an opportunity to, uh, to perform on that stage, then you know we just keep them sitting on the bench, and you, you don't get experience sitting on the bench. Yeah, for sure. I'm pretty proud. Of, I'm pretty proud of that fact. But as I said, we 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 pretty much we didn't really perform to our optimum. But at the end of the day, I'm glad to see where where women's football's gone now. You know. Great. So another sort of branch in your coaching career was being able to work with the Pararoos. Um, yeah. I've done a little bit of work when I was development officer in Wagga with those type of programs and I get so much out of out of that. How important do you think those the programs are linked to the Pararoos and how is your experience in that environment? Oh look if 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 we had um, I had two years uh, after the after the 2000 Olympics I, I signed on as a, I signed on as a, an assistant coach and we went to some world championships in Argentina and, and uh, in, in England and uh, uh, look if if we had the programs then that they have now um, you know, they, they would have been much stronger outfit. I mean, we were, we were pretty good as it was, but yeah, look, them, 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 uh, them programs are vitally important. And I think they've got one, um, I think they've got one out here in Sutherland. Uh, and actually the Sutherland program where they have, it's all abilities. Uh, they have a few players that are uh, uh, CPs. Um, and to give them that opportunity and then they play them, what they do is they play them in a, a competition, mainstream competition but against obviously younger age groups. Um, yeah, they're, they're very important. I mean, if you look back, 
uh, the closest we got to having any sort of a program was we'd have a couple of camps a year and that was it. Uh, so there was no real identification network like there is now. Um, we had one boy that was playing in the over 35s. He was only 17 at the time, but they allowed him in Southern Branch um, to play in uh, to play in the uh, over 35s competition down there. So he would get, was getting good competition. Uh, there's another guy that was, he was only a mild, uh, mild case of CP, was David Barber. And I think David's probably not involved, but last I looked, he was a few years ago. Uh, he's a boy from Queensland and he was very mild, mildly affected. And um, yeah, he, he got to play in the state league, the low level state league up there. Um, but apart from that, there was no real opportunity to identify or develop players. So it's critical that you've got them programs now. And I'm, I'm, I'm really proud to say that, you know, I was, I was part of that. Um, in early days, because they're they're another group you you didn't have to do anything to get these kids to give you everything they've got inside their body. They just you know they're, they're special in that way that they give you everything they've got. You know you'd know that from, from working with them. Yeah, hundred percent. How has um, coach education changed since you started being involved in, in nineteen eighty nine? Um, it's a good question. It's a really good question because. Coach education, yeah, it, it might have changed. Um, it might have changed the way we do things now. We, you know, uh, as opposed to, you know, we let me show you manuals that I still got here that where we got two people standing there passing the ball back back and forward to one another. And and uh, you know, we've I'm glad to say we've come a long way since that. You know, like that was the old level two uh, course, and uh, you know you you'd learn to do things in, in isolation. You know, you'd have a square and you'd have three people in the square and you'd have to pass the ball and run to the open open side. I don't know if you remember them, Andrew, but, yeah. uh, you know, it was sort of that sort of stuff. So there was no, uh, you know, there was no emphasis on decision-making and stuff like that. Uh, um, they used to play, you know, things like three-on-one in a square and uh, there was no purpose to it. Um, so, yeah, look, we've come a long way. I think that the game... It, it, you can see in you can see in the players that play these days, uh, and the little ones. You watch the little ones play, and you see them doing some things that you just go, you shake your head, and go, "Wow, where'd that come from?" It had to come from two two sources. One, it's inherent, or the other is that, and and or the other is that it comes from coach education, from people being better educated now than they have been in the past. I, you know, I technique not technique in isolation, because I'm, I'm a little bit of a fan of that as well, but technique in isolation in terms of that passing to one another, backward and forward and things like that, throwing the ball to, you know. Um, but yeah, we've, we've come a long way in terms of involving the whole, uh, involving the whole group in what we do. Um, yeah, and, and making it more game-like. So if I could say that they were the things, I, I think more game-centered activity. And now we're really, really heading down the path of, uh, player first, coach second. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's there's some good things that we've done in coach education. Obviously, credit to you for, you know, 50 years of giving back to the game and working in the sport. What are some of the harder challenges that you've faced through your sort of coaching or um, and where, where do you find time to fit family in? I'm very lucky. Um, I'm very lucky my, my kids have grown up. Um, oh, one of them hasn't grown up yet, but <laughs> he'll get there. <laughs> he'll get there. Um, uh, it's Bradley, Andrew. Um, but uh, yeah, look, some some of the challenges um, challenges have been uh, towards towards the end. I, I actually did a few years in the Illawarra Premier League. Um, I went 
I had five years with a club called Picton Rangers and five years with uh, a club called Dandaloo uh, Football Club. And um, they were, they were uh, good challenges in terms of um, we went, um, it was two, 2005, I went to Picton Rangers and Picton Rangers had played in the uh, grand final the year before and got rolled 4-0 uh, in the grand final. And they were saying that the difference between and we made the grand final the following year and won it this year that I came. And the difference was that, that they they were waiting in the tunnel for, for 10 minutes before they were allowed to go on the field. And they basically fell in a heap, you know, um, nervous, you know, blokes were nervous and, and things like that. So basically fell in a heap and got smashed in the grand final, despite the fact that they were a pretty good side. Um, so the challenges for me were working with these players who were semi-professional and and trying to get their head right um, and trying to change the culture. So when I went there, the culture was, they had a very good, lovely, lovely bloke coaching them uh, the year before. Um, they were a highly, highly spirited club. They had good camaraderie and things like that. And we had to change their mentality. That was one of my challenges to change the mentality of to try and play a little bit. We, we didn't have to wait for the Dutch to get here and tell us to play out of the back. We, we wanted to play out of the back, you know, and I'm not being disrespectful, but, we wanted to play football and that's, that, that was a, a hard thing to get them to understand that, hey, when you get the ball, you don't have to hit it down the line all the time. You can play it here, play it there and, and start to play a bit of football. Um, so that was a, a real challenge in itself was getting inside their head and trying to go, trying to get them to understand that we wanted to play football and try and keep the ball, you know, where possible. And yeah, if, if you can, and, and I'm, a, I'm a big believer in, in the curriculum and I'm, I'm a big believer in, in everything that we've been been shown but at the end of the day you've got to you've got to have your own flavor on everything we do um you know there's certain structures you've got to stay within but uh, apart from that you know everyone can't build the same house you've got to build the house the way you want it um so yeah so getting inside their heads getting players to change their mentality uh and then i had a different one when i went to dandaloo football club and they were the man united of illawarra because they'd won championships for four four divisions up into the first division in about seven years. So all, all of a sudden uh, they were playing in the first division and I found myself coaching blokes like Alvin Checkley, played for Australia, you know, had a good career at Sydney, SC and, and Japan, and, and uh, Noel Spencer who captained the Central Coast Mariners. Um, so all of a sudden I'm working with these guys and now I'm challenging in a different way because I'm not, I'm not there to teach them anything, I'm there to help them you know, enjoy what they do. And I used to often have chats with them about, you know, things that we do and I ask how do you think I'm going as a coach because you've been coached by Libarski and people like that you know and how do you think I'm going how do you think I could get better and talking to me about different things like how I could get better in my game but the challenge was really it was really tough because you're sitting there in the change room you're talking to them you're saying listen I need you to do this and can you think about doing that and you know and these blokes could easily at any time turn around and say well who are you <laughs> who are you to tell me but respectfully they didn't and uh, you know ultimate, ultimate professionals and uh, you know uh, they, they were challenging times for me again trying to get inside players heads trying to get to know what they do and see how they see how they feel and they, they approach things and you know they they had things that they wanted to add in as well so it was a good it turned out to be a very very good relationship in the end but uh, as I say a challenging one for me because I'm going to the game on weekends going well yeah, I, I had that little bit of experience coaching seniors with, with Picton and now, you know, and luckily, as I said, luckily we had a bit of success with both clubs. So 
that was good. So I hope that's sort of answered your question. There were different challenges yeah. working yeah, with different good. groups. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So I remember uh, once upon a time when we did some country camps in Kinross and uh, I was a young coach and I was the brunt of a few stitch ups from, from you and Steve Roach and some, some others. But uh, what I learned from you guys is was something that probably started to shape my thought process in coaching. So I remember in particular, I used to um, show players look away past and be creative. And that's something that, you know, resonated in my head before it probably was more mainstream really. But you also mentioned uh, David Lee as a mentor to you. Yeah. Um, who, who else has been um, a mentor in your career and how important do you see coaches having mentors? Well, I, absolutely. I believe in having someone to lean on, you know, someone to pick up the phone or somebody that you can go and have a coffee with. And as you said before, the, the valuable coffees and, and share things with and, and bounce things off. It, it's, it's critical. Often, um, often we don't look for that. Um, and I think we, we miss out because we don't. Um, and, you know, I've got a, I've got a saying and, and, and I love this saying. I love it because, I made it up, but I love it that way. But I, I love it because I think it, it should be something that everyone carries in their tool bag, you know. I've never seen a bad session. I've only seen opportunities to learn. And I've never had a bad conversation with somebody because there's always something to, to get out of it. Um, so, yeah, look, having a mentor is, is critical. Um, I've been lucky enough in my life to have a lot. Uh, I, as I said, when I was a young fella, uh, there was this fellow called John Wildman who coached uh, the year younger than me, who my best mate played in that team. So I, I would go and watch their training sessions all the time because my mate was in the side anyway, and sometimes I'd get get to train with them. But he was, um, you know, he was one that was head, well ahead of his time. Um, and up until probably ten years ago, I, I I talked to him fairly fairly often, even though he's only ever a club coach and a representative coach, a level, like down at down at the club level. I think he could have gone higher, but yeah, he was. In my opinion, he was ahead of his time. He used to have, he used to have diagrams of, you know, players passing the ball here, running here, and doing this and doing that. So he, you know, when talking about planning sessions and that, go back to the, you know, the late seventies, and he was already planning his sessions. You know, uh, he's well ahead of his time. Um, but yeah, um, having a mentor is very important. It doesn't matter what level they are. They don't have to be the most learned coach in the world, um, because as I said, there's always there's always ways to look at things and, and, you know, what do you think of that? And what do you think of this? And I'm going to try this. What do you, what do you reckon? You know, that sort of stuff there. And then there will be the times when they'll say, you know what, you should just shut up. <laughs> it, it, it's true. It's true. Sometimes, you know, yeah. you just got to, you just, sometimes when you say nothing, it, it's better than saying something that doesn't make sense. If that, if that's clear. Excellent. Oh, there's a sudden uh, What do you see as areas that can be improved in regional areas? What can be improved? Yeah. In regional areas? Uh, I think just I think just getting, you know, uh, different people out there to work, like like Andrew said before, you know, there's some people in the city here that should get out to the country and, and do a bit of work in, in the country with the country coaches and the country kids. Um, I, I, I think it's been lacking uh, in, in years gone by. Um, you know, we, as I said, we, we, I go back to when I started, we used to go and do a country, country visits. You know, I, I still remember hiring a, hiring a car, New South Wales hired me the car 
But I remember driving down after we played, played on a Saturday afternoon, and I drove down, uh, got down into Wagga, I think it was late, late Saturday night, um, and then we're up early eight o'clock, I think, on the Sunday morning and did some training with the country kids down there. I still remember the, the mist coming off, off the field and Rawlings Park or something like that. But um, yeah, so they, they, were the, they were the good times. And, and it's, it's not that, it's not that it, it should be you going to, uh, you going down to Riverina or you, sorry, you, you coming up to Western or you're going out to, you know, go to Southern or whatever it may be. Um, interact with each other, country coaches moving around and coaching the different kids from different places. So I just think that, you know, they just need, they need more attention. And we, we've got to, we've got to find the ways to take, take the game to them, you know, um, rather than waiting for, you know, the big, the big house to give the orders, you know, maybe find a way to, you know, to have, get them country camps again, Andrew, and get yeah. the, get the kids in that, that um, a little bit more talented or want to are dedicated to, to wanting to get a little bit better at what they do because there's there's so much out there and I'm sure that you know I'm sure they're screaming for 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 extra work. You know? yeah. So the reinventing of the I think the re reinventing of the, the academy system, uh, where you I don't know how you're gonna call it, but you know, if you can reinvent that where we used to have them weekends where the three groups come into you know to each other or you know um, and play against each other and they're good identification things as well. Um, yeah. but you know better than I about your own landscape. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, look, it's not about reinventing the wheel. So, I mean, uh, the TSB program been running yeah. in the past, you know, two years has been great with that, which is yeah. essentially is bringing in, you know, players from Western Southern um, Riverina to yeah. play against each other. And from an identification point of view, it's been exceptional. But yeah. what we have found yeah. is then you get players that were in the fringes that we hadn't really looked at before wanting to be involved in that, that program. Yeah. So. Yeah it then has an overarching effect on, on players wanting to follow that pathway and we, we just need to do more, for sure. Yeah, mate, uh, look, you know, I suppose when a couple of years' time when I retire, I'll, uh, I'll make a few trips out to the country and, you know, just put my head over the fence and, you know, say good day and that sort of thing. But, it's a, it's, you know, I mean, there's got to be people here that, that want to go out and, and not go out and tell the country coaches how to coach. Go out and see what they do. Go, you know, I think we... We need to have that relationship, you know, like four or five of us from the Rams should go out and you know, have a weekend and it can be a social weekend as well, but a weekend where we can get a group of kids in and watch them play or coach them or talk to them or, or whatever and interact with the country coaches and yeah. give them some, some of our time as well. Um, not that, you know, we, we people from here aren't any, any more intelligent football-wise than people that live in the country. There's no, there's no saying that. But in, together, if we can get together more often, I think that's valuable and interact with ideas and interact with, with oh, how come, what, what, how do you do this and how do you do that? So um, I'm all for that. I'm all for, you know, because they, it's easier for us to go out there than, than it is for the country people to come in here. I mean, once a year is not enough, is it, you know, to come to the state conference. And, and I think, to be fair, we need to do a bit more on the field, you know, that, at them things, but I don't need charge of them. But if, if we were to go, you know, pick up four or five people from here and, you know, from anywhere around the around here and drive out there and, and yep. just have a fun fun weekend of, of football and, and interaction with the with, with our counterparts out there. I'm um, also too, uh, you know, I think you know over the years we've had country kids stay here. We, I go back to 19, I don't know, 1990, I think it was, when a kid called Anthony Alvis come down from, um, come down from Lismore and he, 
ended up playing for Melita Eagles and he played for the Australian under 17. He stayed at our place and we had um, uh, some other people, Eliza and, and Kiralee and that stayed here. Uh, you know, we put them up over the years. So it wouldn't be any problem for a country coach to come down or we started, if we start a uh, reciprocal, you yeah. know, uh, reciprocal um, offer that, to say, look, you know, you guys come and stay here and, you know, use this as a base and then go to where you need to go and go and watch, you know, go and watch, um, you know, a National League team play, train or uh, or an NPL side train and you'd use it as a base and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah I, think, um, exchange. You know, I think on that, it's, it's not about copying someone, but I think that, you know, football's a great thought process starter. So the more sessions that coaches can see, um, and again, not about copying that session, but it's a thought provoking. So I like that. Why did you do that? I, did, I didn't, you know, understand why you did it, but now I do. So, you know, watching sessions and as opposed to anything else is, is, is a great way for coaches to really challenge their thinking. And then it may or may not shape how they, how they see things going forward. So, yeah, that's right. I mean, you, you're a bit of everyone. I'm, a, I'm, I'm the same. I'm a bit of everyone. I'm a bit of that coach that was at, at East Bankstown back in the day. You know, he, he, I'll tell you a funny story about him. He painted all his footballs black. Right, this is the 70s. Right, <laughs> he he painted he painted all his footballs black, and I said to him, "Why do why did you paint the balls black?" He said, "Because when we play with them, the other team cop this. I don't know why why he said. It. He said the other team actually think they're heavier. He said I had a guy come to me one day and said these balls aren't the right weight. You know, he wow. said they're heavier than the normal balls, and it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't. And he did. I said, "Why do you paint them black?" He said, "Because the other teams think they're they're heavier." I, I don't get it, but psychological. Well, I don't know. He's. I told you he was ahead of his time, but he's thinking outside the square all the time. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's um, it's a funny thing. But yeah, you look, you pick up little bits and pieces from everyone. You know, you, you're you're not you're not the coach you were. You know, ten years ago, you yeah, you've changed. You morphed into something. You morphed into someone else, or you've taken a bit from everybody else. And that's the way we should be. And and that's, I think that's the way. That's the way. I mean, these coaches' associations are, are great ideas, you know, where people can go and interact with each other and, you know, discuss points and things like that. And because uh, I don't, well, I've not seen the one that has it all yet. Uh, not not seen him anywhere. I mean, there's, there's some good ones around, but I'm sure that uh, that everyone has all the uh, all, all the ingredients. Well, you mentioned some players earlier, such as Jada and Eliza, and we've showcased some on this shows such as Ryan Grant, etc. cetera. Uh, How do they best develop if they don't want to leave to a bigger area as early as some of those players did? Difficult, difficult because they have to get the right intensity in their training. <clears throat> so if, you know, and I think the coach drives it, but it's, it's really difficult if, if you're not all on the same page. Um, in terms of, uh, say, you know, you've got, Shirley or, or Ryan Grant or you know whoever it might be, um, and and they're excelling. Um, you challenge them by putting them into a higher age group, of course. But how do you challenge them at training? You know, and getting all the people on the same same page in terms of training. Uh, and the only way you can do that is get get the best players in the country and in the country areas and work with them all all together and drive them. Um, and then it's up to them to drive themselves at training when they go back to their. Uh, own club training, but yeah, I, it's a difficult one. Um, you know, I think I think eventually you have to come to the city, um, but yep. 
is there a way is there a way that we can take you know take that intensity to them um you know by getting the best with the best um and i don't know um i don't know the answer the, the full answer to that um just looking at liam goalkeepers are different because goalkeepers are always different, mate. different. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've always had the opinion that that it doesn't matter if you played in a lower division and you, your psychology was such that you didn't care how many goals were scored against you, that you would develop better than another goalkeeper who played in a higher division who didn't get so much practice. I, would you agree with that, Liam? No, 100%. I always thought about that. Like, I sort of played for a team that you know, we were successful in juniors. We made grand finals a lot, but I always thought the same thing. I wonder if I was playing for one of the teams at the bottom of the ladder for those six, seven years. Yeah, how much better you'd become, you you know, probably saving thousands of more shots a year type thing. And I yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, organising the defence, getting practice at organisation and stuff like that. But it's very difficult to um, to get that player with that mentality, you know, going, okay, I don't really, I do, because goalkeepers do care. They do care how many goals they let in. I'm sure, I'm sure you do. Um, yep. I'm sure at training, you're not, you're not going to get beaten at training. You don't want to get beaten at training because everyone takes the mickey, don't they? Exactly. But yeah, have that, have that mentality of, okay, I'm, I know I'm going to get a lot of practice here, so I'll stay in this lower division side, but that that would be hard to, to get. But getting back to that question, I, I don't know the answer, um, but it is, it, is, uh, it is important that at some stage they come to the city. Um, there's a lot of pitfalls with that as well, you know, schooling, study and all that sort of thing. Taylor Ray comes to uh, mind. She plays with the Sydney... Sydney FC girls at the moment. She comes down from Queensland. Um, kid, kid called another former state player called Gareth Eds, who went over and he played in England for a while. Uh, he's he had her in his uh, stable up there, and he said, "Look, I, I can't do anything more for her. You know, we get a look in somewhere down here." Well, yeah, the rest is history. She she came down and made it here. But yeah, look, it's a real tough one. I don't don't know. Um, apart from having a, a just an all-year-round thing where your best players come in and train um, and then go back to their clubs. I'm, I'm not too certain. I mean, you're already doing that, aren't you, to a degree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think also there's got to be, you know, a conscious effort by the coach on, on talented players to make their training player-centric in, in the questions they want from that player as opposed to their overall, you know, team tactic stuff on the weekend. We're going we're gonna to play defensive like this, I think. Yeah. The coach is going to drive some really challenging uh, decision making for the players that are talented. Um, can they do this? Can you do that? Try this. Yeah. Make it more player centric for that for that player to you know challenge themselves. Because again, yeah. similar to what you said about goalkeepers, it's it's not necessarily how successful they may be. So a striker, it's not really how many goals they score. It's it's how they can score goals under different types of pressure. Yeah. So you know. Keep pushing the bar for what they, they need to do. Keep asking questions about the number 10 and what kind of balls that they can play. And accept that it's not going to be always successful. You know, the challenge is, is to test the player. What's their limits? Challenge their thinking. But again, we're going to change our coach's mentality around is it preparing always for the game on the weekend or is it what can I challenge individual players? That's my thoughts. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It's 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 just trying to it's just trying to do do better or make it harder for the players that that need to be, I suppose, to tailor make what they do specific to what they want. 
if that's that makes sense. Uh, Cool. So just a couple of queries on uh, on coaching from your expertise. Um, when you've had assistant coaches, how, how do you handle them in terms of do you assign roles? How are they involved in uh, session planning? How are they involved in team selections? How are they involved in roles on match day and a training? How have you yeah. handled that? So, so with with assistant coaches, um, that's that's exactly what they are. They're assistants, and they're not they're not there just to put markers down. So. You know, um, and I go back a long way and it's the same, it's been the same all the time. You know, they're not just there to put markers down. They're not they're just there to say, pick up the drinks or, you know, carry the drinks or do whatever. Um, buy the <laughs> yeah, buy the coffees. Yeah. And now assistant coaches are important. And, you know, well, again, you know, you've got an extra set of eyes on the game. You've got an extra set of ears listening to what's going on um, in the change room as well. They can be, they can be your, uh, uh, your eyes and ears when you're not there, if you, if you like. Um, they, they've got an important role in terms of, um, I make sure that the players um, can can talk to the assistant coach. If they can't talk to me, they don't feel they can talk to me. They can talk to, to the assistant. We've had the, that in vogue for a few years now, like with different teams I've had. Um, and of course, uh, you know, sounding boards for, you know, for like there'd be, uh, I worked with Kelly Cross at Blacktown City in the 90s. Um, and Kelly and I always used to get to training about 45 minutes early, earlier than we needed to be there, um, to, even to prepare. So it ended up being about an hour and a quarter. Um, and yeah, we'd have a good 15 minute talk about the game on the weekend because we'd had a chance to reflect. Um, then we'd get in and have a talk. So I, I sort of used that, um, used that a bit with my assistants. But yeah, I, they're, they're as important as, as the coach is to the team, in my opinion. Um, and I make sure that, yeah, sure, they might put out markers and things like that. Um, and then when we were with Wanderers, we had the opportunity to get the, the assistant coaches involved in the in the warm-ups and things like that as well. So they weren't just sitting there doing nothing. Um, but, but an assistant coach is not just, you know, someone that's there on the side, even though some of them don't get paid. Um, There's someone to be respected um, and, you know, as I said, bounce ideas off, give them, we, we often give them things to do, like we'll give them sessions, part, parts of sessions. And I make sure that the assistant coaches working with our SAP programs and that get exposure to actual coaching. Because a lot of assistant coach don't, uh, coaches don't get that exposure to actual team coaching. Yes. So they, they're, getting, they're getting mentored by this person, but the person's doing all the work. So, you know, often, often uh, we'll tell the uh, SAP coaches to, you know, back off, you know, let them do this one, let them do that one. Uh, even if it's only a rondo, um, you know, if it's only setting up a rondo and running a rondo, it gives them opportunities to to talk to the players and, and guide the players in what they want them to do or how they want them to, um, how they want them to react in certain situations. Um, and that gives them experience in communication as well. Uh, and uh, obviously organisation and, and, you know, getting their techniques, I suppose, better at, um, Getting information out of the players, if that makes sense. So we, we we're big on, um, and I think everyone is anyway. We're big on uh, guided discovery, um, and giving the giving the um, giving the players the tools they need to understand how how to play. Um, and I, I'm big on basic technique um, with with both coaching and coaching coaches. If that uh, try to clarify that. Um, I'm big on the basic stuff rather than using long, long, uh, long words to uh, long sentences and 
long-winded sentences to get information across. Um, we're trying to get the coaches to, to be more, um, more, more about questioning and guided discovery now than, than the rest. So they need practice. The assistant coaches need practice at that. Cool. So just on that, um, obviously, over time, designing a session has changed. I mean, I'm sure when you started, it was all in your head, and then it was probably on pieces of paper, and now we've morphed into, you know, yeah. apps and, and different um, online formats for session design. How have you handled that? How do you, how do you see the designing a sessions having progressed? I know it's still on the back of a stubby holder, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite, not quite. Look, um, it, it's it's changed a lot, but it, you can you can get overkill. Um, and I've had coaches come to me with you know six pages of session plans, and I'm thinking, well, gee, hold on, that's that's a lot of stuff to get through in a training session, you know. And at the end of the day, it's, it's you have to nail it down to what's really important in training. I mean, planning your sessions is critical. There's no two ways about that. But to be able to, to be able to put out put it put it into action is a different thing altogether. And I've been a, a big believer of uh, over the years of just simplify again simplifying your training sessions into and I think they got it right in skill training, you know, skill introduction, skill training, skill gain. And your three your three sections, uh, your three sections of that, and then your four sections of your your uh, game youth youth uh, youth license. So at the end of the day, uh, it's not about all the fluff. It's about tidying up the information that you need to, to get across to the players or the, the, the things that you want the players to understand and how you want to, to teach them. So, yeah, um, obviously it's, it's changed a lot, but I don't see the need. I don't see the need. Well, with my coaches here, we ask for a very simple, simple training plan and that can go onto our website. So what we, before the COVID thing come in, we were trying to get a, a, a little library I'm sure you have something like this in your areas. We try to get a little library that the coaches would put their sessions down. They have the three, you know, make it nice and simple. And then we put it onto the, we will build it into the library later for the local coach. Because the local coach doesn't have any idea of, you know, 10 pages of, of information on, you know, all the things they need to do. They don't need that. And I think we'll scare them away if we start that, start to do that, you know, so we just simplify them. But planning is, is always been, always has been and always will be critical doesn't matter whether it's written on a you know on whatever uh as long as it's as long as you've got a plan there that's all that matters to me excellent good advice well what would your key advice be to young regional players looking to make it to that next level advice yeah advice work work harder and work harder than hard <laughs> that makes sense just keep working at it look at the, the bottom the bottom line is um, bottom line, I've said it all my life and I'll, I'll keep saying it till the day I die. I'm a simple person. I like simplicity. Simplicity is genius in a way. And someone said that, someone more intelligent than me. But get the basics right. Get the basics right. Do the basics well and often and, and you'll get to where you want to go. You're dedicated and you do the basics well and you do them often in games. You'll find that, you, you know, look at the players in the world. How many... How many special players do we have as opposed to how many, um, call them run-of-the-mill players, run-of-the-mill Everyone in their teams, think about your teams over the years. How many special players did you have? Apart from the goalkeepers. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, 
and how many run-of-the-mill players did you have? So, so what I'm saying is, if you're a run-of-the-mill player, you've got to be one of the best run-of-the-mill players. And, and, and the best run-of-the-mill player is the one that does the most things, the most simple things well. You know, and you, you hear it, I've, I've played in a few teams over the years, in 35s and that, you know, years ago, and, and blokes have coached me that, you know, that wouldn't have a clue. But at the end of the day, they're the coach and I'm the player, and I'm not there to coach, I'm there to play. And I listen to all the talk around the, the team at halftime, everyone's putting their two bobs worth, you know, I sit back and laugh. And you know what it comes back to? It comes back to simplicity. Yeah. Get the ball, give it, support it. You defend, get in between the ball and the goal. But everything, you, you hear all these things and they're going on and on and on. At the end of the day, it's, it's a very simple game. And, you know, we talk about the principles of the game back when I first started coaching. And, you know, we, I cut my teeth on the British system, 3-5-2 you know, um, and, and the old wingbacks and, you know, but the principles don't change. Depth and width hasn't changed. Triangles haven't changed, you know, since I was, since I was a kid. We, we were taught triangles when I was a kid. So, you know, if you do the basics well, if you're a good passer, you've got good both feet, um, you're reasonably good athleticism, the higher up the ladder you go, of course, you, that, that's more important. But if you get the basics right more often than not, you're going you're gonna to be, be a pretty good player. Yeah, and uh, and that talks about um, that talks to uh, reading the game as well. You know, being able being able to read the game, um, and if you can do that, if you've got them basic skills right, and you're a good reader of the game, you have got a fair chance. Excellent. Would that advice change at all for uh, regional coaches that are wanting to try and give back to the game or push on to that next level of coaching? Yeah, I I I, I think that's I think the whole the whole lot. Is boiled down to boiled down to getting the basics right, being good at good at what you do, um, and and as I said before, planning. It doesn't matter for me, if, you know. If I'm encouraging local coaches to plan, I'm saying you plan the best way you can, as long as you plan. Okay, I don't care if it's it's written on the whiteboard and you take the whiteboard to training with you. I don't care. I know that I know that the visuals and now they they, they they do a lot of visuals and things, which are great. Okay, because it gets the kids to understand. Yep, you need to be here, here, and here. Whatever. That's fantastic, but whatever works for you as a coach, as long as it's, as I said, as long as it's planned and you know what you're going to do and you've rehearsed it at home and you've gone through it, all, all, all the things that we need to do. Um, but then again, the higher up the ladder you go, then the more, the more things you're going to have to add to your armory. But yeah, I, I, I say, keep it simple. Keep it simple, as simple as possible. You know, and, uh, and for me, that's what coaching's about. I've always coached the same way. I've always coached, you know, you do the simple things well, and then yeah. you make them difficult when you need to. And that's when your special players come in or your players, you know, and sometimes players morph into what, what, what they really are in terms of this. If, if a player's a little bit less on the athletic side, you won't find them taking people on all the time. You won't find yeah. them taking people on all the time. They'll, they'll get people close and they'll, they'll draw them in close, play it, go and give it, go, whatever. Um, so you, you, you're almost, you're almost, uh, by nature, turn into turn, turn into what you what you are, what you're good at. Okay, so I'm not quick. Um, I'm not going to beat people. I've, I've probably never beaten many people with the ball. Um, more throwing them off balance, but or throwing them over their back or something like that. But <laughs> at the end of the day, as I said, it's uh, yeah. Look, just keep it very simple. That's all I say is uh, make it as simple as possible, and if not, simpler. Beautiful. So I can't see you retiring anytime soon. But uh, what does the future hold for North? 
look, I'll, I'll, I'd love to be here for another, uh, another three, I reckon three years, three years to set something up and leave a legacy. Um, and, and, you know, be able to come back in 10 years time and say, I was part of that, you know, uh, like, like we do with the, the state teams and things like that. I'd like to come back and go, I was part of that. I didn't build it. I didn't make that player. I was lucky enough to work with them. And uh, I, I'm, um, I'm, uh, uh, yeah, probably three years and, and leave something. We're setting something up. We're having this review at the moment of the rep teams, rep programs here. Um, hopefully that comes out the way we want it and then we move on from there. But as I said, uh, yeah, probably three years here and then um, and then go and do something. I don't know what I'll do, but I'll, I'll still be in the game somewhere. Um, but at the end of the day, as I said, maybe three years, get someone in here that can, can take over the reins and, and leave a legacy and, and then come back in 10 years' time and say, well, that's going pretty well now, you know. So, yeah, uh, it's been great, mate. I, look, I've, um, I've I've been blessed. You know, I never become a professional player, but I've I've been to more countries playing football, um, in coaching courses and things like that than most of my mates who have been professional players, and uh, and I'm still still going on now. I do have I do have the um, the record, and I think it's maybe a world record in my own head anyway in my space. I've got a goal in every country I've been to. Do you know that? No, I didn't, but I do now. Every every country I've been to, I scored a goal. No, <laughs> you know, no, no. You know, when you go on a coaching course, <laughs> well, most times we have to do the work ourselves, right? Uh, in all cases, in all, all countries I've been to, we've done sometimes. Sometimes we did one session, or we might do three, four sessions, or they get the kids in. But we always had to do one session or play at least one game. So I don't care. Wherever I was in Brazil, I woke up, no goalkeeper, kicked the ball in the net, scored. So no. I have scored a goal. I have scored a goal in every country. But I like it. I like there was no, it. There was no teams to play against. But, uh, yeah. Look, I've, I've been blessed. Uh, as I said, I've been blessed and I was shaped by them people that, um, that gave me the opportunity, you know, back at East Bankstown at my club and met so many great people in, in, that, in that time and, and still meeting people, you know, Liam and Kyle now that I didn't know before. I feel like I know well now um but it's just such a great game it's just such such a great thing to be involved in and yeah. to see to see where the game's going now with with coaching uh coaches are becoming uh, a lot a lot more precise than they used to be they're getting more organized as you, as you said with you know you can have that much information you can have this much information doesn't matter it's what suits you um we see different styles of coaching we're, we're starting to see people in, I'd reckon in the last 15 years now, being more open, whereas before it was more closed. Um, and that's never been my way anyway. But you see, there was a lot of people keeping their you know, little secrets to themselves, what they thought were secrets, but there's no, there's no secrets in football now. It's just out there. And, and that's what the beauty of the game. Everybody, everybody sees it differently. You know, they talk about in Brazil, you know, they've got 170 million professors or something, you know, of the sport. <laughs> We, have, we might not have that many professors here, but we've got a lot of people who are, you know, got deep knowledge of the game. And, and I'll tell you this now, uh, and this is from my experience worldwide, we are well, we are well up, up the top of the ladder in terms of our, our coach education and our coaches here in this country. We don't, we don't realise we don't realise how good our coaches are, you know, and that starts from, you know, regional coaches right into, you know, right into your, you know, Sydney FC coaches, you know, people don't, don't realise how when you compare us to the rest of the world, you know, and I've been to a lot of places in the world, when you compare us on, I think we're, we're well on top. And that's part of the reason when I was at the AFC, I, I knew 
I knew for a, for a fact that they they didn't really want us, you know, or anyone outside their little their little uh, thing. I'll tell you how how that came about. I was at uh, I was on an AFC uh, panel and we were doing a, a technical study. Um, anyway, I had to report to this guy who was my superior, uh, supposedly in there. So anyway, we we did the um, we did the match report and I I started putting in you know. They had a problem in the midfield and the, the six and eight weren't working off each other and and this uh, you know their runs were runs were the wrong runs to support and so I started writing all this information in and he said no 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 he said you just just need to write the midfield players aren't connecting with the fullbacks okay so that there that told me what would that tell you if I told you to just do that because he was putting the reports in he didn't want to he didn't want to see he didn't want himself to be seen as inadequate in putting the information in. So they are very protective of their own own lot. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. And as I said, we we underestimate ourselves here. We've got some great great quality here, and at, and at all levels, by the way, you can see them out in the NPL space and youth out here on the weekends. You can see them anywhere. So everyone's got some good qualities there. We just need to um, be able to express them a little bit more. Well, the final question, which we've asked everyone so far, is. Messi versus Ronaldo, which side are you on? Well, that's a tough one, you know. They've probably scored, they've probably scored, I, I read something once where they scored over 700 goals for club and country. Okay. So I'm thinking that, you know what, that's a, that's a bad question. That's a bad <laughs> question. To ask me to, to ask me to separate two champions who have, who have changed the, changed the, the course of the game, I would say. Especially, especially when you look at Messi. Okay, let's go. He's, he's a great dribbler. He's a fantastic dribbler. He's got that, that ability to, to beat people one-on-one -on -one and excite the crowds. Um, uh, I think I'll go for Ronaldo. Is that all right? Is that, is that a good, is that, is that a fair answer or not? No, it's the wrong answer. I, I answer. think that's a, I think it's a fair answer. Very fair. Yeah. Well, answer. the the bottom the bottom line is, mate. How you know? How do we compare them? Uh, yeah, of course. How do you how do you how do you do that? And I'm sure everyone else has said the same thing. Um, you know, how do you tell like George Best? <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, thanks. Splitting hairs, you splitting hairs. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, I'll uh, I'll try and get out try and get out in the new year sometime. Beautiful. Sounds yeah. interesting. Well, thanks for joining us, Norman. Um, obviously, credit to yourself for working within the game and giving back to football for as long as you have. And I'm sure you've left a mark on a lot of people. And um, thank you for joining us on the Regional Football Hub and taking the time to share your experiences and give some advice to regional players and coaches. And we wish you all the best for the future that holds. And I'm sure we'll see you around on a football field sooner rather than later. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.